Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon Torrance, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on proof of afterlife, whose mission is to bring hope and inspiration to others and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. If these interviews resonate with you and you want to hear more like them, you can support the podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing with like-minded friends. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of the Magic is Real family. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hi, Magic is Real listeners. I'm Shannon Torrance. I'm a little hoarse today. Um, have a little bit of laryngitis. Um, but I'm here with my friend Ishtar, who is a near-death experiencer, but that's not all. He is overall a person living a spiritual life who has a very interesting spiritual journey that he will share with us today. He is coming to us from Portugal. Thank you so much for being here, Ishtar. Oh, thank you, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you much, Lee. It is. I, I am so happy to have you today. I have heard your story and there's so much to it. Um, so first of all, I'd love it if you would introduce yourself in terms of telling the listeners kind of who you are, what your life looks like today. Um, I know that you you do a lot of different things. So I'd like you to, to share it rather than me try to summarize. Hmm. Well, let's see. I, I, I often... I'm kind of a big nobody in, in the best sense of that, best sense of that term, but to give the bullet points of what I'm up to in life and kind of what fills my days and, and um, gets me out of bed in the morning. Uh, I think my meditation, I work as a meditation teacher and, and, you know, that was not something that I was as a child thinking, oh, I got to go be a meditation teacher. Even, even um, when I was a little bit older and I thought I need to be a monk, I, I didn't want to be uh, I wanted to be cloistered in a certain sense. So I, I wanted to do it just for my own development. And I thought, oh, meditation teaching, it's probably not up my alley. But I, I remember my first course uh, teaching meditation. It was back in 2004. And I just loved it. So I've been doing that ever since. And, and that for probably, practically speaking, for better and for worse, has, has driven much of my life and, and and uh, brought me into my other passions, hobbies, professions, uh, which, which are numerous like anybody else. Uh, I love to garden. I did that professionally um, for many years back on the Oregon coast and uh, in and around Portland, Oregon. And that's another thing that I sort of fell into by accident because we, we had this, I was living in an ashram at the time. And we had a very big yard to the side and just and it, it just was calling for, flowers and and shrubs to be planted and we beautified the hell out of it and we had this wonderful cafe so I, I i really wanted to do window boxes with the others and then we started getting hired for jobs and all of a sudden we're you know you're, you're driving a truck and <laughs> you've got like yards and yards of bark dust behind you and you're you know working every day doing it so an accident uh, i'm also work as a writer and the the writing that i do of like i think like any other writer has been all over the map. Uh, what I'm working on now is sort of a semi-secret um, television project, which I can't really talk too much about, uh, but I'm also working on three or four books, very different books. One of them, uh, I've been sort of invited to write some sort of spiritual memoir because I've had a very crazy life uh, in some ways. And others, I, I just like writing sci-fi and, and fantasy and, and fiction. And another book I'm, I'm working on uh, is 
on intuitive development, which, which the diehard materialists in the, in, in the audience might, might think of as, you know, under the ages of fiction as well. So, uh, but, but that's, that's what my writing activity is like. And I used to remodel houses and I love that. So I'm kind of a home and garden type of enthusiast. And then I also work as an astrologer and kind of an awesome. intuitive astrologer. So, and, and the heart of that work, which, which is kind of like the heart of the meditation teaching, because I love, I love to do whatever it is that I can do to sort of be of assistance in helping people fall into themselves. With, with astrology, um, what I really love is, is seeing people kind of connect, connect to their own grain, as it were, you know, and, yeah. and relax and let go and, and kind of have a sense of, okay, you know, I, I know what my, I know what the symphony my authentic symphony sounds like. And by hearing that authentic sym symphony, I'm able to better um, shove, you know, shove off all the things that are inauthentic. So yeah. that's, that's my work. I love yeah. it. And I, I, it sounds like a really enviable um, life considering I think in the Western world, we're so, it's great that if people enjoy working in the corporate world that's wonderful for them you know I just know that I'm not that type of person and only later in life did I start to realize that I could make a living doing a lot of different things and I can do things that I love and can be of service in ways that are more spiritual or artistic and creative and I think mm. anyone who's given the opportunity to do that is so fortunate um, because it's not always easy it's not yeah. like you went to college or, or going I'm going to become a meditation teacher. There's a lot of money in that. I'm going to have yeah, great stability. No. But it's so wonderful to see people thriving and experiencing abundance in all the ways, doing such interesting work and getting to be creative. And every day is different. And I think it took me a long time to get there myself. So I, I'm happy for you. I think that's so great. And you're allowed to be of service. So I'm considering all of these spiritual things that you do and your spiritual interests let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you were drawn to these types of um, profession, these, these types of, um, I don't know, modalities and also mm -hmm. uh, professions. Um, I know this started very young for you. You're a mm -hmm. person who is one of the few I've spoken with who actually had a near-death experience very young, but even before your near-death yeah. experience. Tell me about some of your spiritual experiences when you were a child. Presence, light, silence, uh, a sense of being, a sense of being one with everything in a very palpable sort of way. Though all those things were, were what characterized a great deal of my childhood experience. Um, even, even alongside, I, I uh, all the times, you know, like skin my knee and I'm crying because <laughs> it's bleeding or I'm really unhappy about um, something that my sister or my, my parents are doing, or, you know, even in the temper tantrums, which I didn't have a lot of those, but I, I remember it was as if while I was having those things underneath them and kind of around them was this soft, quiet, vast, dimensionless space that was really always there. And um, I think I have very early memories of, I'm not supposed to have those, uh, according to, to, to my uh, high school senior year AP psychology textbook, I wasn't supposed to go past two and a half or three or something like that. But uh, the, I remember being in the crib. I remember not being able to walk. And I remember my attempts at 
trying to walk and, and you know sort of falling down and and um, all that sort of stuff and that and all those things that that quietude was was there. Uh, one of my favorite things as a child was getting up very early. And of course, I don't know how early. I didn't have a clock and there probably wouldn't have been able to read the clock either at that time, but it would still be dark outside my, my bedroom windows. And I would just be sitting there quiet and in kind of a meditative posture. And I was fascinated to just look at things. Like I, I had a sense that I was in the curtains. I had a sense that I was sort of in the crib and, and both localized to my body and very non-local. And I would remember when my mother would come in and when she would wake up, which is about the time that the sun was coming up and then she would greet me and she used my closet as like a second closet. So she'd grab stuff and go out the door and come back, you know, an, an elaborate dance. And some of the other, some of the weird things that, which of course I didn't think of as weird at the time started to happen then. Uh, notably, I remember probably the first ghost I, I saw. Uh, I was again, sitting in my little crib doing my thing, just watching all of a sudden a, a lady, an old lady with um, curly white gray hair uh, walks into my room like everybody else. And my, my, um, my maternal grandmother had stayed in the room before and my, um, my maternal aunt had also stayed in that room. I remember them coming in. And, and this lady who came and had hair that looked like my grandma's hair, except this lady was smaller than my grandma. My, grandma, my maternal grandma was quite a tall lady. This, this lady was shorter. She had a blue nightgown on and a white lace collar. And I just kind of watched her and she didn't look at me, which I thought was interesting because uh, everybody would look, uh, but I could feel her attention touching me in a certain way. I had a sense that something was, was, was touching me and it, it seemed benevolent enough. And I just watched her walk on by. And then she, the thing that struck me was she walked right clear out the back um, wall of my bedroom. And I was quite amazed by that. I was like, hey, I've never seen that before. And, and you know, I started hashing plans that when, when, I, when I could get myself out of the crib and I could walk, I would try it out, you know, and I'd, I'd walk into the, into the wall. Um, years later, uh, I was, uh, you know, could walk and talk. And I was looking in, in a picture book, a family picture book with my mom and she was going through things. And then I saw the lady in the picture book and uh, the she? little, she, well, the, the, I'll just keep it open. The lady I saw or who walked by the crib was a spitting image of my great grandmother, my, my maternal grandmother's mother. And, and it, my mother would go on and always tell me about my great grandmother and saying, oh, she would have loved you. You two would have got on really well, et cetera, et cetera. But she died the year before I was born. And, huh. uh, so you know, I have no idea how old I was. I just know I couldn't walk yet, nor had I escaped escaped from my crib for the first time, which was another one of those big milestones when I when I <laughs> got over the crib. So it was before that. Yeah. I have no idea when that was. That's but, so interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah. I know. I re I remember things from so far back that people can't remember that I. I mean, people have can't believe I remember it. Um, I always attributed that in myself to a. I'm a very sensitive person. I mean classic HSP, highly sensitive person. Mm. But um, also it was just a very um, intense time for me. I mean, I had a great family, but um, I was very sensitive and very emotional. And um, I've said before on this podcast, so I'm 
repeating myself, but um, that I had a large birthmark on my face and people would stare and point. And so I felt very, very self-conscious, very young and very aware of things in a, in a way that I, the psych, the child psychologist my mom took me to um, actually thought I might be autistic um, because, uh -huh. and I think, and I do remember seeing a man walk. I remember talking about this man I saw walking down our driveway. We lived in upstate New York. It was kind of woodsy. And I saw this man and he was, had a top hat and a cane and like lapels walking down our driveway <laughs> and he had a beard and I called him no man. Um, and which is pretty creepy. So I, I, I almost now I'm starting to put the pieces together that this might've uh -huh. been, I thought maybe it was because I was sick. I think I might've had the chicken pox. I thought maybe I hallucinated these things, but now mm -hmm. that I look back and I've talked to people like you, I start to think, I don't think that's all it was. I don't think that's all it was. Yeah. Um, so it's possible. I don't know. Um, but I find that so interesting that some of us can really remember so far back and very vividly. I mean, this was the seventies for me and mm. you know, it's like, it feels like yesterday. Um, so I love hearing your story too. Um, and we don't, is there anything else you wanted to share about sort of what was happening? pre the near-death experience or do you want yeah, to yeah well sure i can do that succinctly too i'm looking at the time but oh yeah uh, i mean it, it followed from there uh especially after i was out of the crib and into into the bed um uh, that for must have been like three it was you know between three and seven i was really um open for business i suppose with the other with the other side uh you know i at the time was i i didn't think of think of it concretely like oh I'm seeing ghosts or spirits I thought oh this just could be my imagination because this is uh and but there was nothing wrong with the imagination so I didn't shut it down like like a lot of uh, children seem to be forced to but I would have you know beings sometimes I would see them visually sometimes you know in amongst other things sometimes I'd seem to be seeing them up here uh, you know for me that was kind of like a, a subtle sort of um opaque overlay on, on top of everything else. So it was a little bit different. We have sensing other times it was just, um, it seemed to be a gut feelings. I would, I would have some kind of communications and, uh, but whatever it was, I had a lot of things coming into my room. And I was at the time I was deeply into Jeremy Brett's portrayal of Sherlock Holmes in the 1980s and that gr wonderful Granada uh, series. And so my mother had this old Sherlock Holmes costume, which strangely I could fit into parts of it. So I would put that on, I'd wear that hat, and I, I thought, and I would turn my room into sort of like a little consulting detective's office, only I would be helping the spirits. And I think that was a way that instinctively allowed me to not freak out at what was going on, kind of have a sense of environmental control and purpose and function. And what I would do is I'd sit down in my rocking chair, I'd have them sit across from me uh, one at a time. I would go into this, close my eyes, and I would somehow go into this big white space uh, like a brighter light the brightest light and then somehow I, I instinctively would push it out in front of me uh, put it between us and kind of invite them to to step in and then they'd be gone when I'd open my eyes and so for some days I was doing this like um, two three four five six seven you know times a day some you know people in a row and then it started to, those sorts of things kind of faded a bit, not all the way, they didn't go all the way to about age um, seven and eight. And they kind of 
you know, faded, but again, not to nothing uh, by the time I was 13, which is when I sort of got a kick in the pants through the near-death experience. Right. Wow. Do you just, I'll jump, I'm just jumping forward a minute. Do you still see apparitions now today? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not as frequent as it was when I was three. Uh, Nora's pronounced because I, I don't, you know, even, even then I was kind of like, I don't think this is what I, what I'm here to do. This is my calling. So, and it was never something I wanted to sort of, I didn't want to become a medium or anything like that. Um, Or really, if I could be helpful, that's great. But for some reason, I felt it's not my, it's not my function to train in that specifically and to, and to work that I wanted to be a Jedi Knight. Uh, as a kid, whatever, whatever the hell that that was doing, I had the sense as a, as a kid. I guess I should share this too. Maybe some others have it there. I used to, uh, as I would go to sleep, I would uh, go to sleep in, in some interesting ways, which which seemed normal at the time. One way involved me doing this kind of breathing in a certain way, which which while I did it would sort of build up this warm, very pleasurable feeling that would then go up my spine go all the way into my head, and then I would release out the top of my head and go places. And one of the places that I consistently went was this great big mountain. And, you know, a mountain in a mountain range. And and I kind of thought of that as sort of my nighttime Jedi Academy. And, you know, as, as I got older, sometimes this I would be kind of maybe like in a hypnagogic state, I suppose would be the right word for it. This uh, sense of being close to this mountain would kind of impose itself and and kind of come in, in my waking reality. And so I would often be standing in my bedroom and all of a sudden my bedroom would would change. The windows would become much smaller, be higher up. The the wall would feel different than even the atmosphere and the the somatic sense of, you know, how big the space is, the smells would would change. And I found myself in in what kind of looked like a Nepalese or Tibetan type of, mountain room and and so that and and more than the visual there was some kind of i didn't have the word frequency at the time but um, that's a pretty good word for it there was some kind of tone to that space which i was uh, i was innately drawn to there was something in that and and that after the within and after the nde would, would essentially play a large part in in getting me to have a very different life than what I was planning for as a child. Because as a child, I wanted to be a politician and, wow. uh, you know, a lawyer, you know, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was a hero of mine as a, as, as a kid. And I thought that's what I'm, what I'm here to do. I've, I've got a mind that can work that out. Uh, and if I have such a mind, it's, it's my responsibility to do good, do good in the world and to try to be as, as um, helpful as, as I can to, to my fellow man and, you know, that all went out the window. Yeah. It's a, well, you're one of those lucky people that could do a million things. Um, you know, you could, you could have gone a, a million different ways, but it sounds like your childhood was actually pretty fun. I mean, it, in terms of your imagination, making things yeah. so much more interesting. Um, and so how old were you at the time of your near-death experience and what, what was happening around that time in your life? Um, at the time I was 13. And I was in seventh grade and I, I did not like school all that much. I mean, I was really good at it. The academics, that was not a problem, but the, the social side did not start out very well at all as far as, you know, 
being very popular or anything like that. And I think at, at 13, I had gotten a little bit popular and, and maybe not in a, in a good way. I'd, I'd been good at, um, you know, when I was eight, I went and talked to my sister and I said, I figured it out, sis, you know, here's my plan. I've, I figured out that I can read people and I can, I can put back at them exactly what they want to see. And I can, I can, I can do that really well. And then she said, Oh, don't be, 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 be careful about that because you're going to end up losing yourself. And I was like, no, 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 you know, you'll see, I'll, I won't lose myself. I'll have got it all figured out. And then a year later, I basically said like, oh my God, since you were right, you know, I don't, I don't know what the hell, when, when the parents tell me just be yourself, I have no idea what they're talking about. Because um, I just had too many, I had too many selves. I didn't know what they meant by that, that advice. Yeah. And so by the time I was 13, I think I was pretty kind of a smooth operator. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't have, I'm sure that wouldn't have lasted. I'm sure I didn't need need an ND to handle that. But that's kind of where I was. I, I was I had very conventional dreams. Not to say that those are bad at all, but they just ultimately weren't in tune with what was trying to happen. So you know, it, was, it actually happened the last second to the last day of the school year, which was always a happy time for me. One because I could get the hell out of school. Two because I, I would always get the tons of awards at the awards ceremony. I love getting awards. You know, I want to be special and and uh, you know a, a high achiever, all that sort of stuff. And I had um, the the night before actually broken my arm playing baseball, which was another thing I love to do is play baseball. So I was boohooing. The night before about oh man I'm gonna miss half the baseball season or or, or more because you know I was really bummed out I was having a conversation with my mother as I often did kind of winding the night down before I went to bed all of a sudden this flash came through and you know I didn't think about it the words just came out of my mouth and and the words were are you gonna die soon mom and and it kind of struck her she kind of like it hit her and she took a step back and then she kind of collected herself. First, she said, no, I'm not gonna die. And then she corrected, so of course she's gonna die. She said, well, I'm gonna, of course I'm gonna die, but not for a long time. And she said, I promise I'll always be there for you as long as you need me. And I said, okay, okay. And then I, you know, I shook whatever, whatever it was that came through and I went to bed. And then the next morning I woke up and just sprang up out of bed panting uh, like kind of hyperventilating really as if I'd just been running and it was that and it was at that moment that's that my mother and father were right outside my, my bedroom door and I didn't close my door first it didn't close uh <laughs> just needed some sanding uh and second I like to have it open because I've actually felt safer with an with an open door than a closed door you know it's like an escape um escape uh, passage and and so then I just told them, I have something I have to tell you. I don't know what it is. I'm so frustrated that I couldn't remember this vitally important message that I was supposed to tell to them specifically. And then they went and I went to school and did the award ceremony thing and came back home in the afternoon. And you know, we, we dropped my sister off at, at her um, job at the movie theater on the edge of town. And that's when we had a car accident. And uh, uh, you know, just one of those things where you, you pull out and the, the first car that you can see is, is going the right speed limit and you're going to clear them easily. But there's just happened to be in the moment of decision, the car behind that one that you can't see that I think at that moment just started to whoa, book it. And that's the one that got us. And uh, do you remember, so was, do you remember knowing it was about to happen or did it sort of hit you out of nowhere? 
Did you see it coming? Oh, I did. Well, I both. I mean, I did see it coming. But of course, you know, I was actually, my mom asked me to put the Luther Vandross tape in the tape deck. I was, I've, I'd heard enough Luther Vandross for the past several years. I was like, we're going to negotiate maybe a different music choice. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it was in, with that in mind, that's what I was going to say when I turned to my left. And when I turned to my left, oh my God, there was a massive Lincoln, massive gray Lincoln right outside my mom's door, really going at high speed. I think, I don't even think they, they put the brakes on, uh, you know, maybe until the last moment. And it was, you know, there it was. And, and so in that moment, instead of tensing up, I would have expected myself to tense up in fear. Um, but instead of tensing up, I became totally loose. And there was no fighting it. It was just a sense, okay, this is it. Total acceptance. It wasn't even fighting that I was about to die that that the, you know, that was a good run, but, you know, 13 years was apparently uh, the yeah. length, which I felt a little confusing because that, that's what I asked myself. I thought, I thought this one was going to go more than 13, huh? Yeah. You know, okay. I had the sense of that. Uh, but I was like, all right, well, that's, that's it. And, and so then the whole life review happened, which I'd always been fascinated with um, before. That's what I, uh, okay. I, I usually ask that. Were you, so you were aware of near-death experiences. Oh yeah, I, I watched that movie Flatliners. Oh yeah, uh, scared the bejesus out of me actually. Yeah, I forgot but about that. I think I saw I it saw, in the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. So myself, I mean, it was, but, yeah. it was no, no. It was, it was I watched. I saw Flatliners, and I, I'd watched a lot of In Search of episodes, you know, with Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. um, and and so you know back then in like the 70s it was the all they had was the Bridie Murphy case yeah uh, uh, that's reincarnation uh, but you know NDEs were were in that mix and I loved reading the the time life books uh, I would just pick them up at the at the library and I knew about um, Buddhism I knew about Tibetan Buddhism and I knew about the a little about you know how they went and found their llamas, etc. But of course, I've heard about the life flashing before people's eyes in other contexts, and I thought that's a fascinating happening. How I was just begging my mind: how can that much material somehow be played and and that in you know in milliseconds? It was just fascinating to me, and so I kind of got my desire right there. I thought oh, I'd love to have that experience uh, every time I'd heard about it, and there it was. But in this in this case, it was so much more than even the amazing experience I thought people were having because in my case, there was this kind of a sense of this vast, um, benevolent, totally objective flavor of consciousness that at first was like this sort of separate consciousness, like God or, or like you know one's conscience um, or Virgil in the Divine Comedy, but bigger. And we were just looking at every frame of my life and you know kind of see that <laughs> you know like and, and anytime anytime we came upon fear or um lying anytime I, I contracted and sort of fought against life by by trying to lean into sort of the the tricks and machinations of the separate self-sense we saw it and we forgave it and you know often like, like a lot of other people report there was a sense of even sort of seeing how my actions or how my internal choices more than my actions but the, the internal state affected other people for 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 seeming for good and for ill and we forgave everything any any grudge i held against someone else was forgiven and all of it was just sort of wiped and, and of course at the same time we looked at some of the some of the the home runs 
so to speak. Yeah. And and some of them were were ones that I didn't even remember. And I didn't even think like, is that a home run? Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that at the time. But but when I saw them in this life review, I was like, oh, oh my God, that was beautiful. You know, that, that thing that just happened right there, that moment, that quiet moment of, of appreciating a leaf, you know, floating in a, in a puddle on the asphalt of the playground the fall day. And whatever it was that I was recognizing at that moment was profound, more profound than I, I you know, knew it all. And so, yes, and then once that played out, there was this wonderful sense of oneness with everything. Uh, and it was, again, I was back into that non-local consciousness that I experienced as a, as a very little baby or toddler and just, just maybe a little bit squared or cubed um, in, its, in its intensity and its, um, the, the far-reaching nature of it. When you were experiencing yeah. this, was it like watching a movie or were you back in it? Both. I mean, it was more real. It was, it was hyper real. Uh, like, so I was back in it, but I was at the same time watching a movie. There was a sense of, of being more in it than I could have been at the time because at the time, you know, it was, I was tripping on my own, on my own ego. And when you're, when you're living through your ego, you're seeing what, like, you're seeing like 20% of what's going on. And only, so it was more real because I was seeing 100%. I was there 100% in, in the experiences. It was also detached because at the same time, there was a sense of being, being moored into an even vaster part of the soul or part of pure consciousness, uh, which, which later uh, in meditation school, we would call the witnessing consciousness. And so they were both happening at the same time with, with it, seamlessly without any kind of awkwardness or dissociative sense. So yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, and so you see this life review and then do you go right back to your body or is there more that happens in that experience? There's, there's more that happens. Cause I, I mean, the funny thing was I had the life review before we got hit by the other car. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. because I was voluntarily pulling the, the eject button, <laughs> right, right there. Like, all right, let's get the process going, you know? Uh, and and so after the life review finished, and it did finish, it was interesting. It kind of finished into eternity. You know, it was, it was as if my the whole timeline that I'd experienced was see, was infused with, with this sense of light and infinity and timelessness. And, and then looking out in my body for that split second before, bam, it was the most beautiful moment that I'd had up to that time in life as far as the totality of, of experiencing. There weren't any filters that were, were blocking the experience. I, I could see, I was looking at the dashboard. The dashboard, I had a sense of, of the molecules and the atoms that made up the molecules, but below the atoms, I had a sense that this was love. Yeah. And it was even thinking that, that was a thought that sort of filtered up into the small band of the conscious mind was, was everything was made of love. And then I looked at the sky and it was like, yeah, and when, when I thought everything was made of love, there was also a sense of, you know, there's, it's, it's been all you the whole time. You know, there's a sense of, um, you know, I wasn't raised with any religion, so I didn't have a lot of uh, religious terms sort of floating around in my mind uh, that often, but I, I did have a sense that, you know, if I could translate now, I'd say I had a sense that the kingdom of heaven had been here the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what everything was made of. And that's, that's so the secret cool. of the secret of life. You know? Oh, that's then, so cool. Because so I've I've said that to people. My friend, my best friends, was asking me. I was telling her about this particularly detailed 
mediumship reading I was able to do where even I was like shocked because the things I came up with were so specific, including the person's nickname, including, I said, you know, they're showing me 1950s and a little boy opening the cereal box and there are little, those little prizes inside of them. Mm. Um, and she said he, as an adult, he collected those and he collected like Cracker Jack boxes um, and, and vintage cereal boxes. And I was like, how on earth would I ever know that in a million years? Yeah. And, you know, then I said, I see a rhino. And she said, yes, we have these little figurines and he's the rhino. I'm the elephant. My daughter's the dragon, you know, and I'm like, what, how do I know that? And so I was, she said, I don't, she said, I believe you, but I don't understand. I don't understand it. And I said, yeah. what people think is that heaven is this place. Like it's up there or, you know, it's, it's not, it's actually all in the same place. It's just a matter of there's a veil there. And our vibrations are different. Um, and obviously there's different, there are different interpretations, but I was saying, I think there's this misunderstanding that it's a different place from where we are, but it's actually where we are. It's just sort of a different dimension and we have access to that other dimension, but we're at such a lower frequency as human beings. We have to expand our aura to sort of, and I can't even pick up half of it, but that's the way we're able to pick up that stuff is that it is here it's it's all it's all here um and it's really just yours for the taking which i would love to hear at, at, you don't have to go into it right now but your thoughts on sort of manifestation if you believe mm. in that because i've started to do it and watch it happen mm. in my life that i'm like this is so crazy because i believe that stuff is already there you just have to sort of meet it where it is and raise your vibration to meet it it sounds so to some people, I'm sure very like woo woo and crazy, but um, I'd love to hear your take on that. Or I've had a lot of that. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could we could get into that. Yeah, uh, I'd love to because I just before think it's I really say interesting. that, yeah, I even want to say um, you, you you kind of framed it as expanding our aura. I'll I'll put an, an obverse another side yeah. of that coin. Um, in some ways, the, the trick is is simply just ceasing to juggle the balls that we're unconsciously juggling that we have no we don't remember that we're doing. When, when we you know, stop hitting ourselves in the head with a hammer, we just don't know we're doing it. And, and so, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of, I, I kind of think of it um, in terms of, well, I, I do this meditation practice called Ascension, but that sometimes that name gives people a sense of, you know, like, oh, fly it out of your body. Right. In my case, I could call it just as well, Descension, because uh, I had effectively sort of, I felt uncomfortable with uh, callousness and, and, um, uh, the callousness of the world and kind of how mean I even felt the other school children were. And I, I, you know, without knowing it kind of been out of my body in a certain sense for much of my childhood, doing the meditation practice brought me back in. And, and there was a sense of like, okay, you, you know, that I was, you know, we just kind of jettisoned some of these, these defense mechanisms. Um, and now, you know, simply because they're gone, I can, I can see, so much more of what's going on it's like a spiritual make under which is really interesting and it's yeah. also kind of like when you're dieting and people say what should i eat and i always say it's more about what you shouldn't eat or like like if you if you want to be healthy and reduce inflammation and lose some weight it's not about what you eat it's about not eating sugar not eat and and kind of i don't know if it's really that great an analogy but yeah it's already there no, there's just good. all this other stuff mucking it up which would be in my mind, you know, the sugar or the uh, yes. preservatives or the trans fats or whatever. Yeah. Um, really, it's like just eat whole foods, just stick to the basics, and yeah. you'll get how to lose weight. 
there's a lot of addition, uh, addition via subtraction. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, I think where yeah. my mind went, that's really interesting. Um, and so then in your near death experience, did you see entities at that point or was it all this telepathic osmosis knowledge that everyone talks no. about? I think. Yeah. Yeah. No entities, no, no tunnel. I didn't go anywhere. You know, I was actually in some ways more in my body that, again, that, that I'd ever been uh, to that point. And, you know, the only, I had a lot of osmosis of knowledge before that. And after that definitely helped me through school and helped me. You know, I, I won a lot of competitions where you guess the number of jelly beans in a, in a jar, at like a bank. For some reason, it would just turn on then if you could know. Yeah. Um, but in the NDE itself, it was just the love. I think that was that was really the, the most important thing was there's such a sense of total resolution and peace with with everything. Yeah. And, and that was like, yeah, yeah, that was, I couldn't have wanted anything more than That's that. the universal theme, I think. What is it that brought you back to your body or at what point do you remember returning to your body? Oh, I remember waking up and hearing the sound of, of um, the um, dinging of the seatbelt bell going off. And you know, that was, you know, and I'd been concussed. I, I remember my head hitting the, the window to my side. I didn't have any bleeding or bruising or anything like that, but it was an awful thump. And, and so when I got up, they were pulling us out of the car and using those big giant skill saws to, you know, cut in and I just I didn't know what my name was <laughs> they were asking me all these questions they're trying to ascertain if I had spinal damage being very careful and you know putting me on the gurney and supporting me just right and that's and the only thing I knew was though so that's my mom over there and I didn't know anybody's name or uh, much else I just knew that relationship and so then I was in the van and the interesting in the van was I was you know kind of they had me strapped down the head so that I, you know, my neck was stable in case I had any, you know, big injuries. But I was looking out, and at the same time, I had the sense of floating at the top of the ambulance, uh, and they were they were simultaneous. So it's kind of like a perceptual sandwich in the, in the space of the ambulance. And um, then my mother called my name out a couple times, and the second time that she called me, um, well, I replied both times, but the second time that I replied, she got it. And what I replied was, I'm okay. And, you know, basically I felt, I heard her breathing totally change and become completely peaceful. And she let go. And I, I felt her, you know, kind of leave. I didn't, I, I was so um, concussed that I didn't think, oh, she's, my mom's leaving her body. She's, she's right. dying now. I just thought, okay, you know, they're going to get us to the hospital. And I wasn't thinking anything actually. Yeah. Next thing I know, we're in the in the um, suppose the operating room, and I'm out. I guess they figured out that I was mainly okay. They're working to try to save my mom's life, and you know my sister's now there next to me, and she's crying because she doesn't know if you know I'm screwed up. Um, and then my dad came came out and he said, "Your mother's gone," and so that was just like the you know, the biggest blow. I thought, yeah, before or since at this point, that's the biggest blow of emotional blow of the life and um you know the next thing i knew we're you know being walked out of the hospital um being taken home and it's kind of a um a blur like that for two two days it's definitely in shock yeah and what was interesting to me was um, um after the shock and w while i was going through grief 
like 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 in a textbook, I, I noticed that there was this, you know, this vastness and this joy. And that the joy was very strange to me because yeah. I was also feeling terrible and angry, very angry. I didn't really believe in God necessarily, but I thought if there is one, I'm really pissed, you know, on my mom back. So I'd go out in the garage and I punch the punch the wall really hard and punch the door uh, with my in, in, in anger. And, but even when I was doing that, there was this quiet and it was fascinating to me uh, because it was so pronounced and I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing anything to make it happen. And, and so I started playing with that basically. I was like, okay, I can't shake this. This, this sense of um, depth and quietude and presence is always there. I'm going to let myself relax into it. And then, you know, I wasn't even thinking in these terms. I was just kind of playing with it like a kid would. And that was, that was absolutely fascinating because wow. I, I found that I could have all these emotions flowing through me, uh, but they weren't, they weren't hurting me. You know, the, the pain was there, but there wasn't any suffering. And, you know, the, and, and so I was like, that's interesting because everybody yeah. around me seemed to be having a much worse time. Like we're all going through grieving, but it's like, it, it wasn't weighing me down in the same way, or it seemed yeah, which... to, that seemed to be the case. And at such a young age too, it's, I don't even know how you process something like that. That's such a humongous loss. And that's the, that sounds like such a gift, even though it doesn't lessen the pain, just that you were able to be in that. It almost sounds like you had sort of one foot still on the other side and one foot here where there was, you may not have realized it, but there was this knowing that all was well in the grand scheme of the universe and how it all works. But, um, well, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but it is beautiful to hear that that was your experience of, of having that inner knowing um, that there was some sense of peace along with it. Um, did you at any point, because I know you had sort of communicated with those who had passed on, did you have messages from your mother that were clear to no. you? Did you have not, no. nothing? It was, yeah. Nothing. nothing. Yeah. In fact, in fact, like, like must have been one or two years later, I went to this uh this workshop at the local metaphysical uh, bookstore where I often hang out uh, or hung out. And I went to, you know, contact your spirit guide workshop. And it seemed that it, it, that it worked. Uh, like I found myself, I went, closed my eyes with the intent, found myself going up this elevator again out the top of my head. And like I hadn't done since I was a little kid, I met these beings up there for lack of a better word. And I said, hey, it's like, oh, I, you know, like, oh, hey there, hey there. Um, we're not gonna, we don't need to tell you anything. You know all you need to know, bye. And yeah. <laughs> went back down. And and I kind of, from that interaction, I kind of got the sense, oh yeah, I I, I don't think I'm gonna be having any contact with that sort with my mother. Because she uh, knew you were okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and it seemed like, you know, that was just the start of a period, like like right after the NDE, all that that, that presence that was in the background of all this, all sorts of stuff. I mean, I still had the psychology of a teenage boy. Yeah. I, I, those elements are there. They were just oddly juxtaposed with this sense that I extended a hundred feet back behind me. You know, there's a sense of vastness, and then there is still this, uh, you know, person, this, this young developing teenager. But then when that, the access to that hundred foot hallway kind of closed off, boy, was was life hard. Yeah. It, it, it really hit, and I was just, uh, it was difficult for me to do the next school year. It yeah. was, it was very, it was, you know, I don't actually know how I made it through it so well. Um, 
And, and so that after that school year was over, I was hungry. I was, I was like, okay, what do we do now? It's like, that's when I did my personal growth was in the summers in between school years because I had the space to do it. And it's like, I got to get somehow get back to whatever it was I was experiencing. And, and so I, you know, and just started doing whatever I needed to do. I can spare some of the details, but eventually it led me to the metaphysical bookshop without, you know, outside of my volition. And I opened up a book on, on the experiences of Himalayan yogis, I think it was. And I turned to a certain page and they were listing the qualities of the experience that they were having. And they were exactly the same in my mind as what I've been experiencing back then. And so then I realized, okay, I don't have to get into a car accident or jump off of a height or get close to death to access that. I could do it through some other means that these people over on the other side of the world are apparently doing and have done. And okay, that's interesting. Maybe that'll be, maybe that's possible. And yeah. so the seeds of learning meditation were, were, were really planted there, although it took me some years to actually get to it because I was also at the same time afraid. Uh, I, 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 I had the sense that if I opened up that door, I wouldn't be able to live even a semblance of the normal life that I had wanted before and that my family wanted for me. And I thought I still wanted sometimes. I knew that if I opened up that door, you know, that's gonna be off the table. And so I, I really kind of tried to do, do this kind of dance for through high school, at least for the first two or three years of, you know, kind of, okay, I don't have to be a politician. Maybe I can meet, meet, meet in the middle uh, that that meant okay. I could be like an actor, or a musician, or an artist, or something like that. I never thought I'd do that, do those much, much before. And um, you know that it became increasingly obvious that that was not going to be uh, my destiny. And and so eventually, just I just opened that door, and then one thing led to another, and it was didn't take long before I was eighteen and graduated from high school, and I'm living in an ashram on the Oregon coast. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what took you there. Yeah. yeah. And I know um, you had also mentioned when we were speaking before the camera was on about, I, you said you were 14, I think when you were sitting in a tree and you had uh, had that vision of being in the Himalayas. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, maybe I was even 15. It was my freshman year, sometimes into my sophomore year of high school. And I oddly I was not a happy camper which was strange my a big part of my previous ego and then ego conditioning was like oh I'm good at school you know I'm going to be valedictorian or something like that someday I was not interested at all I had this yearning that I couldn't put words to that was 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 coming up in my chest it was a normal teenage boy yearning these were these were deep visions of 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 robed figures in meditation in in faraway mountains I had this, I had this sense that I have to, you know, I've got to either go to the Himalayas or I've got to go to Seattle. I don't know why Seattle, but I thought I gotta, I gotta get to like Mount Rainier, you know. Uh, and and so these these were, you know, very strong. And I and they were so strong that I'd have to go and go to the edge of my high school's um, soccer field or campus, the, the effective boundary where if I stepped further, I could get in serious trouble. And I didn't want that, but I'd, I'd go into the climb this uh, cherry tree. And I'd look out longingly, you know, in the direct, in, in, in an eastward direction. And I would even kind of berate myself for being a coward for not, you know, stowing away on some ship and making my way over to 
you know, over to the Himalayas. Uh, but it, it was a you know very you know strong strong uh, impulse that was yeah. there, and I, I had no idea how to how to satisfy that impulse. So it was just definitely had a myself. You had a much stronger vision than I did at fourteen or fifteen, whatever that was. I was. Mm drooling over Kirk Cameron and growing pains and just <laughs> watching sitcoms and like hanging out with my friends and I mean I was doing know. that at the same time yeah. too but I mean not Kirk Cameron obviously but um but um I mean I it was a big mixed bag so it, it, yeah. it's like you know the, that that was just there and I didn't know what to do with it and it didn't necessarily fit some of the more shallow interests normal shallow interests right. that, I, that, that I had either and it, just eventually it, it wanted to win out and, yeah. you know, I, I remember finding myself watching uh, the Franco Zeffirelli St. Francis picture, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, and I was so touched. And, and I, I remember this one scene in particular where, where it's basically his scene where he decides to go and be a monk, he takes his clothes off, gives them to his father, uh, gets permission from the local bishop, walks out naked out of the town in the direction of, of San Gimiano, the church he's going to he, and and you know he, he quotes the Bible and I want to be like the the birds in the sky and the lilies in the field and isn't that what the gospel is all about? Oh my God! It just it's like yeah, it's like yeah, that's 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 the yearning in there. And that's, that's why you went to the ashram in Oregon. Many reasons. Many yeah, reasons. That, that was like that was them, like yeah. a, a straw. You know, reading Yogananda's autobiography of Yogi helped yeah. helped um, considerably as well. And what was and that? I had what asked, was that like? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. It was like, there's like with so many people that I talk to, it, it seems to land in their life when they're right for it. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I remember even reading the first few pages, it felt as if like my heart was being massaged, opened up, and, and the energy of life was moving up through my torso. And, and it was such joy just in reading the book, much less doing an actual meditation practice. Right. Uh, I was just reading it and I was like, okay, you know, there's, there's a different way. I'd, I had not been, um, I hadn't, you know, Yogananda was my, my window. His book was my window into a, a great deal of different spiritual traditions, which I wasn't all that familiar with under the umbrella of Hinduism. And, and so there was something deeply resonant about that. And deeply resonant about the name Babaji. And I, I remember coming to this part of the book where Yogananda says, whoever earnestly prays to Babaji, he'll hear you. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So it's just you know, kind of every night in the deepest part of my meditation, I'd, I'd pray to Babaji and say like, hey, I, I, I don't know if you can hear me. I'm just some young kid in Wisconsin, but I could, I could sure use some help finding what my, my dharmic path is supposed to be because I don't exactly no, and you know, I had should I should I be in college and meditate for two or three hours a day at the same time, or should, do I need to do something more extreme and go off to some monastery because I'd I'd be down for for that maybe even more. And I started sending out to um, different monasteries and ashrams of many different types. So there were two or three places in Crestone, Colorado. I got brochures from. And I, I got a brochure, they did brochures in those days. I, I got a brochure from the Ananda um, Kriya Yoga folks up in Nevada City, California, I got brochures from Self-Realization Fellowship. But each time I got them, none of them quite were, they didn't have that frequency that I remembered from as a child. Cause actually as I was doing meditation um, kind of rough discipline meditation at the time, but still getting effect as I did that, 
And as I read things like Autobiography of a Yogi, I felt that frequency getting stronger. And so in some ways, you know, when that would get strong, that would be kind of like a, um, an indicator to me that I, that I might be, you know, nosing in on the right direction. And so I prayed to Babaji and I kind of felt an answer come down, you know, it, you know, in the form of this kind of ball of frequency coming down to the top of my head, kind of with a message, pay attention to this. And, you know, just, and so, okay. And, you know, a few days later, I was, uh, I, I was returning home from uh, picking up cigarette butts uh, from the streets of my town. I was returning home and, and then my, my future brother-in-law, my sister were right outside our front door as I was coming home. And, and my future brother-in-law invited me to uh, a class in the meditation practice that he'd done for about a, a year and a half to two years. And I'd not previously been interested to learn it. I could tell he was getting something out of it, uh, but it, it didn't attract me at all. Uh, their, their website and marketing, I was like, well, that's, I don't know, that's, that's, not, that's not for me. And, and, but when he asked, that frequency filled my body like I was a gong who had just been hit. Mm-hmm. And, and I found myself, you know, I didn't think yes. I didn't respond. I just found yes coming out of my mouth. I was like, I guess we're saying yes, you know, it's just, okay, we're, we're going to go with this. And, and so I did, and I, I still wasn't expecting rationally anything right. from the class. I, in fact, the words workshop and seminar, I usually had associations of, okay, this is what middle-aged Americans do to kind of temporarily distract themselves from really doing deep work. Yeah, you know, and that that was my you know idea, and so I went into the class and I was like, no, 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 this these techniques are in English, you know, praise, gratitude, and love. What do you, you know? I'm into Zen, you know, like hit me with a bamboo stick, man. You know, ask me to jump off a cliff and prove my. I was a little severe, and you know, was, and and but when I I did that first technique, good lord. Now, not everybody has this experience. That's why I don't often share this in, in classes. Because I don't, you don't you know, want people to chasing yeah, something and, and getting responded. No, yeah, you want to be innocent. But I think I needed that, and I and I think that you know, some reason, for, in some ways, it was sort of an answer to all my asceticism and all my ascetic prayers. You know, hooked me up with where I need to go, and and that was it. I you know, I, I was still skeptical. I was like, okay, we're gonna give this a trial period, because maybe, you know, it's just, you know, but um, over the course of that weekend and the next couple of weeks, I, I found, uh, boy, immediate growth happening outside of the meditation practice. I found, you know, buttons that were regular buttons not there anymore, which was fascinating to me, because it's not like I did any deep psychological work. I would just sit down and do these, these prayer mantras let thoughts happen there wasn't even needing to concentrate which this was all anathema to to my previous experience and and yet transformation seemed psychological transformation seemed to be happening and and so i was like okay we're gonna tentatively go with this for a while see where it takes us and it didn't take long before i was like okay yeah i gotta get to if if these people have a monastery or an ashram or anything where they can take a, a young whippersnapper like me and you know, I'll do anything. I'll camp out outside, you know, do, um, but if, if I can find people who are dedicated to um, using this practice uh, in a very one-pointed way, let me in. And so eventually I, I found one out in the, out on the Oregon coast and you know, made my way uh, via Seattle uh, to that place and didn't look back. And what goes on at an ashram? 
God, I think that there's so many different types of ashrams that I couldn't paint too broad of a picture. Well, what went but on I mean, where you were, what what were the well, days yeah. like? God, I loved it. I mean, uh, when I first got there, I most people were kind of on a schedule, and it was lovely. It would I was waking up pretty damn early still because that was my habit. So I would sometimes have like four hours of meditation in the morning from 6 a.m. or before to about 10 a.m. Uh, you know, squeeze a shower in there, squeeze a, do some yoga asanas in the morning before my meditation, some pranayama, but have a long block of meditation. Then from about 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., it would be work time. And my, my first work detail was um, yard beautification. I was, I was working with a lovely man named Trotigum and we were we were basically cleaning up all the, the branches that had fallen into the storm and putting them into a, um, uh, the ones that were too small for kindling, putting them into a bonfire, and then you know turning the rest into into firewood. And uh, that was a fun thing to do for my first few weeks. And then later, um, the, the group had bought a restaurant, a cafe, and I was I considered myself very lucky to be able to work at the cafe. And and I started as a dishwasher, and then I worked my I worked all the different jobs that you could in the cafe until I was trained by a really wonderful chef, uh, funnily with the name Yogananda, who, who was Mexican, but he looked just like Paramatsu Yogananda. <laughs> at least at that time in his life, he, the resemblance was quite strong. And, and so uh, I was sort of apprenticed to him for, for several months and then uh, eventually was kind of co-running the kitchen. And a fascinating, sort of thing you were talking about manifestation before. Um, that in, in my life is kind of sort of a, uh, one of those big examples because you know, like, like a year before I knew anything about these people in this meditation practice, when I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna go to a, maybe an East Coast college or you know, liberal arts college in the Midwest and I'll, I'll meditate. I was, I was still a junior in high school. I, I asked myself, like, where am I gonna be a year from now? You know, it's, it's one of those things where I had the intuition, I had this whole picture then come up uh, with narration that said, you, in fact, you're going to be living with a bunch of monks who run a mostly vegetarian cafe. You'll start as the dishwasher and you'll get trained in all the jobs until you're the head chef. And, and I, had, I, could, I was, had this vision of looking out of the kitchen through sort of a ticket window, seeing a juice bar, uh, juice and coffee bar in, in the... Um, in the background and, and seeing, you know, like a, what the wall looked like. And it was so detailed, all of it. And I thought, okay, that, thank you for the very detailed answer, whoever gave that to me, but I don't think that's very likely. And I just kind of happily went on with, with, with what I was doing and forgot about it until I was, I was there. Actually, until I was on the phone uh, interviewing for the job. I said, we're going to have a cafe. I said, really? Yeah. And you okay. didn't seek that out. That was something that came to you, which. Yes. I'd love to talk about just a little bit because when we talk about manifestation, that usually it, it's so interesting because there are several things. One is with manifestation, you're you're visualizing what you want, but you're feeling what you want. You're putting yourself in there in that space. And I have found that the more I do that, the more these things come to life. And some of it's obviously if you have an intention and you're focused yeah. on it, you'll go for it. But sometimes things don't necessarily line up. Yeah. to bring you to that point. And then there's the other thing that I think is interesting, which is almost as if you, in your case, you were sort of catching a glimpse into your future as if you somehow became privy to your life's path that was sort yes. of preordained. I don't know if that's really the right 
thing, but um, you seem to have glimpses into how your life was going to go and how it looked. It, and so I, I wonder what you think about what's really going on there. So I actually kind of think that the former that you described, which right. is the classic thing, and, and that's something I've engaged in as well um, and had stuff you know come, but I think that the former actually backs down into the latter. Yeah. And that they're at, at basically essentially the same thing at yep. their at their at the core. And in fact, I prefer to do it down there than to do it up here. My my reason for that, not to say that that's uh, necessarily bad, is I, I always had a feeling that that I'd get myself, I could get myself a little bit entangled and a little bit too invested if I'm if I'm spending too much time in, in the individual volition. Um, and so my my preference was to sort of like you know, let it be, but back into sort of, this is why people do like, in, if it's in God's will, that, yeah. that sort of thing. But, uh, but I, I like to be sitting near the sort of the source of consciousness, the quiet, bubbly source. And, and, and another way I've, I've experienced it or, or frame what I'm experiencing is as I almost view things as kind of a multiverse or, or have a sense of different time tracks that are all kind of existing. And, and, and in the more lucid no moments, I've almost had a sense that the, I, I was feeling into these multiple futures and I could actually feel their, you know, the, the relative percentages of them happening. And I could, as if modulate my own, my own note, I think of it musically. Okay. Do I want to be more C sharp or do I want to be C or do I want to be C flat? You know, which way am I, and, and the, which way do I want to play this? And, right. and, and so that was part of it. But um, in, in, in say the meditation practice, of we there's this term that is is plucked out of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which is Ritambara Pragya, which um, can be translated the level of truth that a, the, the the level of um, consciousness that upholds divine truth, um, something like that. Now that doesn't sound like manifestation in the way those words are going together, but how it's often um, fleshed out is that. If you're quiet enough, if you can go down into that space of samadhi, um, in which the mind is kind of resting into the boundless, it's it's any anything any thought that is entertained at that subtle level and doesn't break the surface is like taking a, a pebble and dropping it into a pond, and then the ripples are uniform and large and coherent. And, and so that, that's the sense that anything that's, that's entertained there, then, you know, there's a lot of oomph behind it, as opposed to when we're thinking, you know, 50,000 thoughts a day, and we're I just see. throwing a lot of pebbles in there, and everything is kind of going hither and yon, and yeah. um, making that's quite a so, mess. So well articulated, um, and in terms of manifesting, I just find it so fascinating, because I, I recently, I just moved from LA to Virginia, and I, I was unpacking, kind of like looking through my stuff and I hadn't opened this little box I have on my dresser for a while. And I looked in it and there were all these little notes I'd written a year ago. When I lived in LA, I was in a relationship um, with someone who didn't want to leave California. And I looked, I opened up all these notes and I'm like, I live on the East Coast with forest and a creek in my backyard, check. Um, I at the time was I had lost my voice because of a vocal disorder. So I wasn't working in voiceover for a long time. So I had lost my career for a long time. So I had run out of money and I had written, I receive blank amount of money. And it was an amount, there's no way, it was like an impossible amount. Like how would I even, mm. 
how would that even happen? I haven't worked in, you know, two years. And I said, I received this amount of money from an unexpected source. Well, then last year, a relative passed away and she left me the exact amount that I had written down. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it wasn't the exact amount, but I had the difference in my bank account. And when I put it in there, I, I wrote myself a check for that amount and visualized it in my bank account. And sure enough, I put it in my bank account and the, the, there it was. And I, yeah. I and I, this was a relative, a, a relative I love, but we weren't close. There was no, yeah. her giving that to me was such an unexpected gift that I was so blown away by. I mean, her, I thank her every day in spirit. And there were all these things like that, that I'd written down that I didn't know how it was going to happen. There was, it didn't look likely. And every single thing, I get my voice back and I'm working in voiceover full-time again, and that's happening now. Um, and all of these things that I had struggled with suddenly just all, when I wrote it down and put it in that box yeah. and said, God, I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm leaving it up to you. And, the, and I know that you want what's in my highest and best. So I'm releasing this to you. And if this, it feels, you know, like it's, it is in my highest and best, then please let it be. And everything I had written down is yeah. what I have right now. And I said, I had a podcast that created a community. <laughs> it has just all kinds of things. So I want to know what you think about why, about manifest, anything you want to share about manifestation or why it works, how it works, um, any insights at all around that? Yeah, well, God, this is such a fascinating topic with so I know. many different. I could go uh, on about it for like so 10 many hours, different ways. Threads yeah. we could tease out of them. So I'm trying to be succinct and, and coherent yeah. <laughs> here. But but one one way I think of it is is actually um, a wave ocean, the wave ocean analogy of, of the individual to the total total self, you know, the infinite self that we're we're in fact all of us were we think we're the waves, or we may think we're the wave, but but in reality, we're the whole ocean. And I think that you know, and and the more that we're able to relax kind of our nervous system where we're able to kind of uh, dip deeper into the ocean than just the, the itty bitty teeny tiny top of the wave. I think there's more support because it's not, not that there's anything less sacred about the wave and after all it's still the ocean. So there's nothing less sacred or, or um, we need not judge the, the desires that, that we have um, at all, uh, even if they've been filtered, which, which yeah. many are. But but when we do dive into the ocean, I think it has a tendency. To, it's it's like we're 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 tubes. Um, we we spend a lot of time, um, kind of like little drinking straws. But in fact, the amount of water, the amount of life that's trying to flow through us, which includes um, different experiences, fulfillment of different desires, um, everything is is constricted because it's, it's, it's like, it's a whole ocean trying to move through a, through a tiny straw. And, and so when we do have those moments, whether by grace or spiritual practice or both or whatever, of, of letting this, of expanding beyond the straw, then, you know, things happen. Um, you know, we just need more space to let life live through us um, instead of trying to sort of usurp uh, everything and control everything and, and which has this unfortunate tendency of course of blocking off the very often the very love that we we deep in our hearts want and also as we do that then um, we, we become more sophisticated with our desire too uh, in, instead of wanting the thing that's at the top you know we want the thing that the thing we really want which which 
sometimes the thing we really want is love. Yeah. You know, this is a classic you know, example, um, not, not to invoke a trope here, but I think what we really want is love, of course, then love goes through all these different um, uh, <laughs> bits of conditioning and then it turns into a bottle of beer or something like that. And right. um, not to say that a bottle of beer isn't actually in itself a sacred thing. It's just, it's not always the thing that we really want. Yeah. So I, I think that's a part of it. Yeah, I, I knew you'd say something profound and, and articulate. I think that's beautiful. I mean, I know you could come up with like a hundred other uh, insights, but I love what you just said. And I also think I love that you really talk about letting go and letting it, letting it be and, and letting it um, flow. It's that whole thing about you find peace when you stop fighting the current It's it, yeah. and go with and go with the flow. And I'm learning that more and more as someone who struggled with anxiety, who still has mm. anxiety. And I actually mm. take medication because I'm so anxious that mm. I just, I, it's on my emotions can be so big um, and it's okay, but it needs to be a little tempered or I ha cannot rationally. But apart from that, I've learned meditation is every day for me. If I, if I can, Yo I, yoga, and these things have helped calm my nervous system um, yeah. naturally as well. And then all, but it's also the, understanding that things will fall into place in my highest and best good. So I don't have to try. I just have to be open to receiving them. It doesn't mean I just sit here and wait for things to happen. I definitely need to have goals and desires and work. Yeah. Yeah. But the more I've just learned to just ride the wave and let it go and realize that if this doesn't work out, it's because it wasn't in my highest and best good. So it's a little, even if it's disappointing, well, but it's bet it's, I know that something better will come and it always does. Yeah. And it's yeah. just made things so much easier when I just stop manipulating, controlling. And that's also something I learned through 12 step through 10 years of mm. um, recovery. Mm. And it's, and that's why I hate to be uh, trite with this. People say, oh, it changed my life. It changed my life because yeah. you, you learn as an addict, you're just trying so hard to manipulate, control, I need things to be this way or I'm not going to be okay. And what you learn is you have to give that up to God, whatever your understanding of God is. It could just be a doorknob if you're not religious. It could be just the universe. It could be nature. But once you give up that control, things start to move because you're yeah. allowing. And I, that's what you were just talking about, which I, I love. And I mean, man, my life is so much different now because of that concept. Um, and it's hard sometimes to let go when things are stressful. Oh, it is incredibly hard. It's one of those damn things that used to piss the hell out of me when people would say it. It's one of those easier said than done things. Yeah. Um, and, and I am of the type that I, I was really helped by having something uh, practical that I, and consistent that I could do every day. And it didn't matter how I felt. And it didn't matter if I was pissed off or in bliss. The thing was kind of mechanical. Mm -hmm. and 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 so like you know over days months and years it was, it was as if I was sort of saturating myself into into a layer of our being that's timeless that's really timeless that's timeless and deathless and it's vaster than any possible problem that could trip me up and and it was as if you know it's kind of like being a, a cloth that's put into a dye and taken out and the color fades a bit because you have a rough day or any day but if you just keep I found that if I just kept going in consistently into the dye that you know over time it was as if okay wow 
why, you know, that thing over there should bother me or, yeah. or like, wow, I'm, I'm having a conversation with somebody, but at the same time, I have this beautiful sense of the, of this unmoving space, you know, what, what T.S. Eliot called the still point in the turning axle of the world so aptly. So yeah. I, I, I think that finding that eye of the hurricane, which we all have inside us, you know, finding that is, 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 is I think one of the most potent vehicles for actually being able to let go. Because mm. if you think that you're this little um, billiard ball in a, in a chaotic <laughs> tornado of other billiard balls, like who's gonna let go then? Because it's scary as hell. Yeah. So we have to have some means of, of, of touching some other depth that can't be, isn't at all affected by what's going on at the surface. Yeah, and, and that's our work. I think that's our work as yeah. human beings is, and um, I hear that a lot in manifesting is understanding that all is well, no matter what's going on around you. And that doesn't make sense to us as humans, because look at this, this is a shit no, show. I mean, no, you know, it's like, no. it, yeah, it isn't yeah. all well, it isn't, but in the scheme of things and where we end up and where our souls yeah. end up, it's all orchestrated in a way. And, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of terrible stuff that happens. And I don't mean oh, yeah, yeah. we just sit back and go, oh, well, it's all going to be fine. Let's not do anything about it. But to a degree, if you can at least just try to remember that we're souls, we're here visiting, these challenges are presented us to us so that we can learn from them, grow from them, and they may be awful. It might be terrible. Um, but I think learning to let go of the things that we cannot control is the the serenity prayer i mean the serenity prayer is basically my mantra to life which is you know grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference it's the whoever wrote that is genius it's just the best so i am i i think you have so much incredible wisdom i can't wait to read what you write um, and I'm so honored that you came here today to share some spiritual, uh, to kind of drop some spiritual knowledge on, on, on us, but um, also be, you're just such a humble, regular person. And I think it's, uh, that's what I really like to do is have people who are relatable, who have had these incredible spiritual experiences, but who are very accessible and very normal um, and very relatable. So Thank you for being that person and for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.